Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today's conversation is preaching to me. It's about a resource that has to do with our spiritual approach to food. Erin Davis is an author and speaker, theologian, and her latest resource, Fasting and Feasting, is so good. She's got a message for you when it comes to your relationship with food, and it's an important one. We talk about that. We talk about so much more. We talk about raising families and just what it looks like. She was an absolute delight to have on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating, a review on iTunes or Spotify, and the absolute highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you talk to about food, because you know, if you're alive, you're probably dealing with it. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron Davis. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have author, speaker, and theologian Aaron Davis. Aaron, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm eager for this conversation. Well, um, I, it's not very often I get a book that uh, sent to me or or that I get to talk about that it hits me in a personal spot, mm. and food really does that for me. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, I love to start from the macro perspective, and I, I love to ask this question to Someone like you who's written, have you written a hundred books? It's somewhere, 16 is what I counted. in that neighborhood. That, a bunch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a writing fool. Yep. Um, how would you describe the call that God has placed on your life? Mm, what a great question, question to wrestle with, because I think there's a lot of bad answers floating around there. Well, all followers mm. of Jesus have the same call. All people have the same call. Love God and love people. Um, so that's the primary call on my life. And then... I don't know that it's secondary. Parallel is to glorify God with everything I got, and that includes my gifts. And God has gifted me as a communicator. That sometimes pe- makes people feel uncomfortable, like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging. I have nothing in my own strength. But from from a little bitty girl, before I even knew the sound of God's voice, um, I had these gifts inside of me as a writer and a communicator. So because I love the Lord, because I want every second of my life to honor Him, I use those gifts for His glory to the best of my abilities as a flawed woman. So the call on my life is really to write and teach and communicate in ways that draw people to Jesus. That includes parenting my children. I have four little boys. Uh, it includes loving my husband. It includes loving my neighbor. It's not just the public stuff. In fact, the public stuff is really not where it's at. It's the private stuff that I hope I'm using my <laughs> gifts the best that I can. But the call of my life is to use everything he's given me to point people to him. And it looks like uh, you've been super faithful to that call, which I uh, I appreciate. Mm. I, I'm always curious, somebody who's written as much as you have, how, how do you decide um, where God is leading you? How do you hear God's voice in the writing prompts, mm. right? Because it, this is... I mean, you kind of have different themes in your writings and your your Aaron series and kind of like, the, but it's, they're different, but they're all kind of in streams that feel a little bit similar to me. Yeah. Am I reading that wrong? Nope, you're reading Shed that some light on. on on how you hear from I am a one trick pony. And that one trick 
is that the Bible is the source of life and transformation for those of Mm -hmm. us who are being regenerated day by day by Jesus. Um, And so I'm always looking for a new angle to get people to treasure, well, first read, um, and then treasure and then apply God's word. So that's the stream I swim in. How I hear God's word is in his word. Um, I, people hear different ways. I think there's obviously some similarities. For some people, music is where they really, the Lord really moves them. For somebody else, it might be something else. But for me, it's in the Bible that I hear him speak. And then the next step from that is I, I'm a born teacher. I say I'm a teacher at a cellular level. So I almost can't sit on what the Lord is showing me in his word for myself. Uh, sometimes I need to because sometimes it's not for public like ingestion is just for me and what the Lord was doing in my life, but I just, I need to share it. And so then that writing process happens. Usually I've taught it many times before I ever sit down to write it. So I've mm. taught it to my sons. I've taught it in a, in a Bible study setting. Maybe I've taught it at an event and I don't know, usually a, a nerve gets exposed. That's what's happened with this yeah. book uh, where I go, okay, the church doesn't know how to think about this or doesn't know what the Bible says about this. And I, I say, I'm always willing to pull the pin off that grenade. I may not have all the answers, but I'm willing to try and figuring it out together and then give it to other people. So the writing process is really precious to me because I feel like the Lord speaks to me in a really unique way when I am writing. Now, I'm not saying Aaron Davis books are like canonized. They're not. It's not inspired in the same way <laughs> right. that scripture is, but uh, I don't know. There's a uniqueness about I think the volume on his voice maybe gets turned up a little bit when I'm writing. Um, I don't know why that is. I can't explain it all, but it's, I, I, I love it when it happens. How do you know, how do you distinguish between God's voice and just uh, maybe a friend's or your own, or, you know, I always love to joke about the bad burrito from the yeah. night before. <laughs> like, you know, what, what are some of your like go-to checkpoints to be like, okay, that's, that's from God. That's Mm. not from Aaron. And I know that this is where, this is how I can be obedient. Mm. Well, I would define wisdom this way. Wisdom is insight that is smarter than I know I am. So Mm. I've never been the smartest person in the room. I I mean, I'm I'm okay. I can hold my own. But um, when I get that sense of something that I wouldn't have come up with on my own, I pay attention to that because that's the shepherd's voice often. Um, God's voice always lines up with his word, always, always, always. Um, so really his word, it, it, it's a fail safe. If I feel like that God is speaking to me through his word, well, of course he is. It's his word. So that's the plumb line for me. Um, and God, if you read scripture, he's obsessed with the building of his kingdom and not mm. all that concerned with the building of individual kingdoms, even when those individual kingdoms oh, are amen. nations. And I, in my flesh, tend to obsess over my little K kingdom. Uh, what do people think about me? What do I want God to do for me? What is going on in my life? That voice, I mean, I know the sound of that voice. I've been listening to it for 42 years. God's voice instead is um, others focused, kingdom focused. So mm-hmm. I tend to know that's him when I'm thinking about something other than myself because I'm a woman of flesh. I gaze at my belly button all day long if left to my own devices. And God God's voice pulls me out of that rhythm. Can we drill down on that a bit? Yeah. Because I, I think that there's probably some people listening who are like, yes, but if I if I build my castle, then my castle can help build the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And th- it feels like there's always a tension between 
you know, success, and I'm air quotes if you're listening, I'm sure. using air quotes, right? Success and uh, and joyful obedience, mm. right? And and like, how, how do you? Get, I mean, you're in a world that says, "Hey, we need to promote you. We need For to promote sure. what you're doing. You're writing. You're writing. You're writing. You're writing. Like, how, how do you how do you beat back the voices in your head? Mm. It's constant. Uh, I, I haven't won that battle. A couple of things come to mind. One, I've always said that there's a reason why humility and humiliation are such similar words. I feel like the Lord <laughs> has discipled me through humiliation so many times, and I've learned to embrace it very, very early on on this writer-teacher journey. It was like my first big conference and people were lining up to have me sign their book that had never happened before so I was starting to feel pretty good I went to the bathroom before that book signing I brought a sharpie with me special sharpie and I dropped it in the toilet and I was like okay humility through humiliation here it is and that's happened to me so many other times like my family they don't think I'm anything special and that's a mercy Um, they see me at my worst way often than my best my boys i have two boys who are teenagers now and they're just baffled by the thing when they see me in public places and people respond to me they're like we don't get it mom i'm like i know it's weird that's not the real world this our world at home is the real world so i'm grateful for uh just the tethering that my family provides Mm. for me but walking out humility I don't know how you get there. I mean, the second you think I'm humble, it, it slipped through your hands. So um, yeah. it's a constant, and I'm very honest with the Lord about my desires because he knows them anyway. Like when fasting and feasting came out, I just said, Lord, I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. You know that. You know I have that desire in me. You know whether that's a good desire for me or a really bad desire for me. So I'm just going to be honest about it, and we'll see what you do. So it's kind of that constant. You know, Jesus talked to us about abiding, and it's that Yeah. there's not a formula. I can't give you a checklist. Um, it's just walking in the Spirit day by day, and that takes daily obedience, daily surrender, daily humility. So I haven't cracked the code, but hopefully I'm growing in that. How old are your boys, if I can ask? Yeah, you can. The oldest is 14, and then the next is 12, and then 9, and then 4. You're in the thick of it. I'm in um, it. So All boys, too. I it. feel like that adds a layer. All boys. I have two boys and a princess. Okay. And so when Shiloh was born, I pulled the boys aside and said, hey, whatever you do, protect your sister. Mm. And for like eight years, it was always like, protect your sister. (laughs) And then once she got to be about eight and I realized what we were working with, I was like, boys, protect yourself. (laughs) Protect yourself from her. I got nothing. It's Shiloh's world and we're all just working in it. Uh, But she's my princess and she can have whatever she wants. So there, I said it. Everybody knows. Um, do you do anything uh, devotional-wise with them? I know I know that this uh, latest resource is a devotional. Yep. I'm always curious to steal really good uh, family ideas on helping our families connect with Jesus. What ideas can we steal from from you guys? Yeah, I, let me let me get paint the picture for you. Uh, you've probably assessed my personality type in the five minutes we've been talking. I say I'm not type A. I'm type double A. I'm strong firstborn personality. <laughs> and I pale in comparison to the love of my life, Jason Davis. I mean, he is, he he puts me under the ground and what he can accomplish in a day. He is such a strong personality. So 
sometimes you see families our size and they're very serene and everyone is dressed and clothed and in their right mind, as scripture would say. We're not that. Uh, we're extremely tornadic, <laughs> extremely energetic for very strong personalities in my kids. Um, and so our it's a it's a constant exercise in creativity. And it's mm. never it never works for long what we try. But I'll tell you what we're doing right now. School started not long ago here, and I said to my oldest two, every morning before school, I will be in the living room reading my Bible at 6 a.m. If you want to join me, I would love to have you. If you'd rather get some extra sleep, that's great too. Uh, you can either set an alarm and get up with me at six, or you, I'll get you up on your own at six thirty. Well, they haven't missed very many mornings. They set their alarms. Wow. They come downstairs. I've started making three cups of tea instead of one. It's not like we're exegeting the minor prophets together, but they have their Bible open. Sure. I have my Bible open. Just today, Noble, he's my twelve-year-old, said, "Hey, mom, what were the names of the rivers in Genesis?" I said. Uh, let me find him. So I told him, he said, we've been studying Mesopotamia in geography and some of the names of the rivers are the same. And I'm like, yeah. So he's connecting some dots. That was it. That was as deep as we got. Um, so we're doing that with the littles. Bedtime reading time is our secret. Sure. We just finished reading the Little Pilgrim's Progress with them and um, good questions came out of that. I'm reading the screw tape letters with the bigs. Some good questions come out of that. Um, I try to play music in the car. I love Seeds Family Worship and Songs for Saplings because they're both state, straight scripture and we find some good kid oriented podcast too. So it's just like Deuteronomy 6 tells us, you know, you talk about it as you go and you talk about it at the gate and you talk, that's family discipleship in our house. Uh, and I hope it's always that way. So uh, my two went to camp this summer and you know, I'm a boy mom. If you say, what did you learn at camp? You're going to get nothing. So I just a couple days after they got back from camp, I said, it seems like the Lord really did some cool stuff in your lives at camp. Mama would love to know about it just because I didn't get to be there. Would you write it down for me? And I gave him a notebook and they did. So uh, we didn't have to talk about it. That, you know, that doesn't always go very well with my teenage boys, but they wrote it down for me. So then I knew how to pray. So I don't know. I'm just trying to constantly keep up with them and uh, find creative ways to engage in their spiritual formation. I think that's beautiful. I love that. Um, I, speaking of family, I, I love to look at dedication pages. Mm. And um, your dedication page in your latest book is to Aunt Rhonda. And I was wondering if you could tell me about her mm. and why she was the, the person that God put on your heart to dedicate this book to. Well, here's where the tears probably come. So my mom, her name is Jenny. Um, she has a twin sister named Rhonda. And I have a twin sister named Nikki. So we're twins from twins. And my mom and her twin are identical twins. And um, my Aunt Rhonda has always just had a special place in my heart. She oozes joy. She welcomes you into her home no matter what's going on. We've always just been buds. But right now, together, we're walking a really difficult road, in which is that my mama, Jenny, uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in her late 50s which is really early. And then, of course, her twin sister was also in her late 50s. And we're walking that path out. And anybody who's listening who has walked that path knows it is the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and it's long and it's challenging. 
you grieve your loved one over and over and over, even though they're not dead, they're not your loved one. Mm. And um, we have just, she and I have just walked it in step. Early on, we said, we're going to get to the other side of this together. And we are. And so just last week, we had to take the difficult, difficult part of that journey, which was moving my mom into a memory care facility. Everybody hopes they can keep their loved one at home. And it, yeah. it can't always happen. It's not always the best care. And man, as we faced that day, both of us thought, how, how are we going to, how are we going to leave her here? Knowing she might be afraid. Mm. Um, but the way we did it is we sat together with her. It's a beautiful facility. We sat with my mom in the garden for a long time. And then we looked at each other and my Aunt Rhonda said, surrender. And I said, surrender. And we walked wow. out. And so we, uh, she's precious. And she's walking this journey with such tremendous grace and faith. She deserves more than a dedication in a book. She deserves a, a crown of glory for sure. So that's my Aunt Rhonda. I love her. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, uh, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. And important. God's good in the valley. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate in the way that you talk about fasting and feasting is that you're very clear in kind of the intro that it's not one or the other. Mm. It's, it's a rhythm. Yep. And I, I was hoping that you might be able to kind of help us see the rhythm of fasting and feasting from kind of the 30,000 viewpoint of, of, cause there's in the devotional, there are fasting days and there are feasting days and you kind of draw it out there together like that. Can you help us understand the rhythm and how important that is mm. to how we connect with God? Yeah, I mean, here's the basic building block that we can build on, which is that God cares about our rhythms. In fact, He designed them. Mm. I once heard a pastor say that God must care about the mundane because there sure is a lot of it. And uh, He does. And I think sometimes we're gravitating towards those mountaintops. That's the Christian way we describe it. And God cares about the daily. He cares about yeah. work and rest. That's a rhythm. Uh, he cares about lamentation and rejoicing. That's a rhythm. And as I started to try and understand a biblical approach to food, which was a journey uh, that felt a little bit uncharted, frankly, because I'd heard a lot on either end of the spectrum, what I saw was that fasting and feasting is a rhythm we see in Scripture. And I think it mirrors, okay, take just the food part of it. Fasting and feasting yeah. means what it sounds like. But then I think there's next level, which is that God does call us to life of self-denial, of taking up our cross and following him. Mm. That would be the fasting, laying down ourselves for him. But he also calls us to what he calls himself an abundant life, a life of yeah. joy and of celebration. And that would be the feasting piece. So, you know, it's not a call to fast one day and feast another, which is how the book's laid out. That's not the daily call in our lives. But I think as we approach food, we got to ask a couple of diagnostic questions. Do I embrace food as a God-given gift and as evidence that he is good and he wants good things for me? That's the feasting part. And am I willing to walk out my faith in Jesus in every area of my life, including what I put on my plates? And if so... As I see fasting in the Bible, which it is all over the Bible, by the way, as is feasting, sure. yeah. is that something that I'm at least willing to say, God, is this for me? What would it look like in my life? He doesn't call us to fast forever. We'd shrivel up and die. He's built in us the need for food. 
He also doesn't call us to feast forever. Then we know there's problems on that end of the spectrum. So I'm going to take us back to that abiding. Uh, It's walking in step with him, not swinging from extreme to extreme, which is, I think, actually the American approach to food. Um, But walking in step with the spirit. And it's both and. I think so much of the Christian life is both and. And that's hard for us to even talk about. But that's what I see when I look at scripture for some sort of uh, true north when it comes to my own relationship with food. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Aaron to remind you to check out the Spirit and Truth website. Spirit and Truth is a 501c3 nonprofit designed to help walk alongside the local church. We want to help churches, church leaders, and communities grow in their faith. If you're thinking about an end-of-the-year gift, Spirit and Truth would love, love, love to get your support. To learn more, get connected, and to sign up for next year's Spirit and Truth Conference, go to spiritandtruth.life. Spirit, A-N-D, truth.life. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Aaron Davis. Why do you think that the the North American church, and this is a big question that's really unfair to ask, so I, I know that it. going in. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think that the North American church struggles so much with talking about this topic? Like I, I have, I have been a pastor in the local church for over a decade, and I think if I've preached on food twice, mm. that that might be right. Isn't you, that you know, crazy? Ten years. That's a, since everyone yeah, in your church I, I, eats every day. Every day, and 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 I wrestle with my own, um, you know, relationship with food as a comfort mechanism, mm. and and I I know that there's some God stuff there that I've, I'm dealing with and continue to deal with, and you know, and, and you know, repent, and when I need to repent, and I, you know, so well, I, I don't know why do you think the church struggles with it so much? Okay, I'm going to go for the jugular here. I I think it boils down to idolatry, which we're not the first people Mm -hmm. group to have that. There's a lot about food idols in scripture, but I'll I'll pull a really specific idea out. (laughs) People might just click out of this podcast as I say this, but I'm going to go for it. Several years ago, I started to pay attention to how we talk about coffee. And it's like, we need coffee to start our day. We have all these like kitschy shirts and t-shirts like, but first coffee. Um, and like, we have this idea of like motherhood without coffee is impossible. We can't get through our day without it. And I get, I get it. I, I like coffee. I, I've experienced the benefits of caffeine, but anytime we, there's something, anything that we feel mm. like we have to have to thrive and it's not the Lord, his spirit, his word and his church, something in me goes, we have a problem. And yeah. it's not just coffee, um, it's any number of things. I mean, we build, so much of the infrastructure of our social lives is built around food. And I wouldn't throw that baby out with the bathwater. I actually think that's by design when we look at scripture. But do we know how to have relationships away apart from food? Mm. Do we know how to love our neighbor apart from food? Do If somebody tries to suggest to us that food might be an area where the Lord might want to invade and change our thinking... How strongly do we resist that? Uh, Two stories come to mind. One, I was in my women's Bible study group that I've been in for years. Dear friends, I can vouch for their personal walks with the Lord. They love Him. They want to serve Him. And I said, hey, have you guys ever thought about fasting? And one of my friends stood up and like almost balled her fists and said, I don't want to talk about that. And I was like, 
oh, okay, we can talk about something else. Uh, but it's that raw nerve I was talking about. And then my own pastor, yeah. who I adore, who is so faithful to the word, has pastor our church for decades. I said, hey, Pastor Tim, would you ever consider preaching on fasting? He said, no. And I was like, why? That's not his personality at all. He said, because I don't fast, and I'm not going to call the flock to do something that I don't do. So there's probably a lot of whys, but there is this kind of hard attitude of like, Mm. don't mess with my food. This is an area where I want to indulge. This is an area where I deserve. This is an area where I want to be in control. And if we were to assign those attitudes to something else, we'd recognize them for what they are, which is idolatry. But I don't know, something about food. It's hard to hard to break free from those ideas. Yeah, it's like somewhere along the way, it just became the coping mechanism that's okay. You're right. You know, like, hey, if I'm having a bad day, I can do, uh, in, in some Christian circles, you can do box wine. Yeah. Or in some Christian circles, you can do a sleeve of Oreos. And both of those options are are not exactly what I think God wants for us. Um, and then, you know, so how how do we begin to, how do we begin to write this ship on this relationship? Like if, if you're, if you're really, you know, discipling someone and you're pouring into their life and you, you know, they finally let you into this food part of who they are. Um, how do we begin to shift our thinking around it? Now I, I fast and I really enjoy fasting as a spiritual practice, But when I feast, um, I, it's not even a feast. It's not even an appropriate term for feast. I just eat too much. Yep. Like I, I know that I use food as a coping mechanism. Talk to somebody like me, for example. I'm just going to turn this into my therapy session okay. here, and I hope you're okay. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, how, how, do I, how do I fix my broken relationship with food? And I know where it comes from. I can name the date and time. I have a therapist. We've talked about it, but it's really hard mm. It's really hard for me to like I I try to ask the Lord to take it and I I I believe he wants to but I don't then change my practices. Yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts? Well, you're ahead of the game there and just even recognizing something is off in that area. It is so normalized. And for me, I got so sick of that chase. For a long time mm. I thought this is just how it is. I'm just always going to have these complex emotions around surrounding food which Primarily, I love food. I mean, I'm I'm a foodie. We joked last night. We got yeah. home from soccer practice, and my boys and my husband were like, whatever, we'll make peanut butter and jellies. Well, I grill myself a chicken breast with some blistered tomatoes and some balsamic <laughs> reduction, and my husband's like, you're uh. hilarious. He's like, we'd all eat pizza bites every night, and you're like, you know, making these master chef meals. So I, I, I love food, and I just thought I was always going to feel both. You know, I was always going to love food and feel ashamed and always going to love food and be telling myself I was going to start again on Monday. I don't know. I hit 40 and I just got sick of it. I just thought, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I I, want to find the middle. I just cannot get on board with the idea that God would create me with the need for food, that he would then give me food. And then he would, then I would be in this battle every day for the rest of my life. And so I guess the first question would be like, do you believe that God can bring freedom to this area of your life? I think most people would have to honestly say no. And then there's nowhere else for us to start except for going to the Lord and saying, okay, you know, scripture says that a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And that's open-ended for a reason. 
Because it could be food, it could be video games, it could be porn, it could be alcohol, it could be meth, it could be man's applause. I mean, it could be all number of things. So the first thing we say is, God, I, I need freedom and I don't know how to get there. The second step I would say to take is to start in the Gospels. Isn't that true for so many things? And see sure. what Jesus did and model it. We are tiny Christ. We are to bear his image. So just start with that. Um, and he had, he had a, I think, a very human relationship with food. We see him eating a lot. We see him fasting. We see him using food as a means to celebrate. So we can't throw that out as bad. We have to find a way to sanctify it. Um, so just model what Jesus did and start there. And then what I did was, I, and I've done this with so many things in my life. It's a long list. I, I say to the Lord, I, I don't have right thinking about this. And I know I don't. I can recognize that. Yeah. So show me your truth in the whole of your word. And mm. man, you want to you ask that question of the Lord with food? It, it starts in Genesis with the, the fruit that Adam and Eve reached towards that they weren't supposed to. Then it, it takes us all the way to Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. When wow. people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will gather at a table, I, I think a literal table, I don't think it's like a spirit table floating in the clouds, and eat real food, that's how the canon of Scripture comes to an end, and everything in between. The Israelites griping about leeks and garlic, Jesus' first miracles, uh, the Last mm. Supper, Jesus calling himself the bread of life and living water. If you ask God to show you his perspective on food and the whole of Scripture, that's going to keep you in the Word for years because there's so much there. I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking of like three or four other stories, right? The the first miracle, the wedding at Cana. Yeah, well, you know, water like, to wine. That's, yeah, that's a huge feast, right? Like in the, you know, just there's so much there and the, yeah, ooh, that's good. The disciples that's walking really along good. the field and they picked up a head of grain and they ate it and the Pharisees were waiting to point fingers at him and Jesus had something to say there about fasting. Um, you know, I mean, we could go on and on. There's so much about food in the word. So I'm, I'm always curious uh, about kind of revelation in the writing process. What did you learn about God as you were writing this resource? Mm, this is going to sound so elementary, but it was revolutionary to me. Maybe it'll be mm. revolutionary to somebody else, which is that I am not a disembodied spirit. And I had, there's a little teaching of Paul where he says, well, physical exercise is of some value, but spiritual exercise is of greater value. That's the Aaron translation. And I totally misinterpreted that for my whole walk with the Lord. I took that to mean that if I have to choose between taking care of my body and taking care of my spirit, I should always take care of my spirit. And that it was an unspiritual thing to take care of my body. Well, let me tell you where that thinking landed me. It landed me in the cardiologist office at the age of 42 wow. with a heart that was near heart failure, my, with kidneys that were near renal failure, because I had just not stewarded my body well. And uh, that was not a fun health crisis to be in. And I ended up in a lot of doctor's offices. All of them wanted to talk to me about food. Now, they talked about other things, salt intake, which I think is food, stress management, which was another area I needed to learn a lot about. But um, as I started to get a handle on my own relationship with food and my body started to recover, so did my spirit. And that time when wow. I was so sick, 
Reading my Bible was so hard. Going to church was so hard. Demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit was so hard because I was sick. I didn't feel good. And so I've learned that I only have one body. God designed it that way. Mm. And that it is in the stewarding of my body that I steward everything else God has given me. I parent from a body. I'm married to Jason from a body. I teach women the Bible from a body. I write from a body. And so as I was trying to understand food, and then I was in that writing process when I crashed and burned, I realized like, okay, I'm supposed to steward this body. And so if you were to see my to-do list on my desk just across the room here, three things on the top of it every week. Love Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Make your home a nursery for heaven and take care of Mm. your body. You only get one. And that's been, I mean, it's been huge in my life. And I feel like the Lord is sending me into a season of greater ministry and of greater serving that I could not go into if I didn't get control of just the body stuff, the eating and the exercising and the blood pressure and all that stuff. I think that's really good. Do you you have any uh, spiritual disciplines or physical disciplines that you want to share that you're like, hey, if if you're not sure where to start, this is a place where I started. You might start it too. I started January 1 this year, so not that long ago. Uh, I, I crashed and burned in the fall of 2021. And just chalked it up to COVID. I, I will say, I, I think we are, our bodies are now registering the truth of how we got through COVID and all is not well in our bodies. Amen. But I crashed and burned in the fall of 2021 and just thought, oh man, I don't, I don't know how I could possibly turn this around. I'm too far gone. I don't know. January 1 came around. I think this is that rhythms thing again. God builds in fresh starts. Mm. And I just decided I'm going to fight. I have four yeah. sons. I'm the only mama they're ever going to have, and I I have to figure this out. And so I said to the Lord, help me. I don't know how to do this. I've doing, been doing it poorly so long, and so I started walking. And when I wow. first started walking, I could walk for about 10 minutes, and um, that was all I wanted to do. I probably could have walked further. And I walked and I prayed. I could have listened to music. There would have been nothing wrong with that. I could have put on a great podcast such as your own. There would have been nothing wrong with that, but I just walked and prayed and said, I'm sick. I need help. I need you to help me. I need, you know, for 10 minutes. And he is so good. You take one step of obedience. You take one step of reaching towards him. You take one step of being, wanting to be a whole person. And, uh, he rushes toward you. So, you know, I I did the rest of it the way anybody does it. I, I now, walk about two miles a day. I do 30 minutes of cardio a day. I, uh, my food actually feels under control and has felt under control for months. So it's not a, it's not a whim. It's not a phase. And you know, the formula really is the same. (laughs) It's exercise and eat things that are good for you. Eat things that are bad for you in moderation, drink water. That's, that's kind of it. Um, but even that can be really hard to start. So invite Jesus into that. I would have previously thought that was like, God didn't care if I walked. He, I was supposed to be doing something more important with my day. Hmm. I don't think that anymore. I, I think God very much is honored by me saying, I'm going to steward this body well for as long as I'm in it and help me to do that. As this book has existed in the wilderness now for a little bit, um, what, is, what are some of the things that you're hearing from God or from people as it, as it touches the hands of many? 
Mm. People are fascinated by the idea of fasting, which su- has surprised me. It shouldn't. But what most people say is, I don't know anything about fasting or I don't hear much about fasting. I think I yeah. can diagnose the cause of that. There is a passage in scripture where Jesus himself said, when you fast, which he says frequently, uh, so as if it's a foregone conclusion, but he says, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees and make yourself look hungry and sick and draw attention to yourself. But Jesus says, go in your closet and close the door. And I think we've taken that to mean we're never supposed to tell anybody when we're fasting. And mm. since nobody is talking about fasting, we don't have a model for it. We think we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not fasting. So I'd love to debunk that, uh, which is, I don't think that's the spirit of what Jesus was talking about. Fasting is about turning down the volume on the flesh and yeah. turning up the volume on the spirit. So those Pharisees who fast and then draw attention to themselves, they're turning the wrong knob, so to speak. Um, and he was just, it's Jesus is always primarily concerned with our hearts. So there's a lot of that, a lot of like, tell us about fasting. What is fasting? Are we supposed to fast? Does everybody have to fast? Lots of practical questions about fasting. And then lots of admissions, like your own, like my yeah, own, which sure. is like, we, we know. We know this is an area uh, that we need the Holy Spirit to invade. We need to learn a level of surrender. We feel a yo-yo. We, we feel that something is off, but we don't know how to turn it around. So you and I have a common experience but I don't mm-hmm. think it has to be a forever experience. People, I do think, want some freedom. Women especially. I, I can't speak for men, yeah. but women carry a lot of shame when it comes to their relationship with food. And you can read the Bible for 10 minutes and know that shame isn't God's plan for your life. He came to take that sure. shame off of you. He bore our shame so that we wouldn't have to carry it. Mm. But women, they don't know how to get free. I think a lot of guys struggle with it, but are afraid to even talk about it yeah. because we're uh, ashamed of our our shame. Yeah, I guess that's so. That sounds right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff there. Um, okay, I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, I know that my uh, podcast family is going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's the best place to learn all things Aaron Davis and so they can pre-order book 17 when that comes out? Oh, I would love for them to find me on the interwebs. It makes my heart happy to know there's real people on the other side of these screens that we're on. (laughs) Uh, So track me down and find me. I have a podcast called The Deep Well. Uh, That's a teaching podcast. There's actually a season coming out on fasting and feasting this fall. Mm. So if you feel like, man, I'd love to talk more about this here, Aaron, talk more about this. That's where I direct you, The Deep Well. Um, AaronDavis.org is probably the best place to find me. Other than that, you'll see pictures of my four boys there. So little mom bragging. You'll see why I adore them so much. And my books are there and other places to track me down are there. That's great. I love it. Uh, Okay. Last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question Mm -hmm. where I ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of your life. Okay. Yeah, it's incredibly unfair. Um, so <laughs> uh, I want to take you back to the very first page of your very first book. Mm. You're getting ready to write it. You're sitting down. Um, and you, if you were going to pull up a chair in front of that young woman, sit knee to knee with her, hold her hands and look her in the eyes, what's the one piece of advice that you're going to give her? I would tell her to enjoy her inadequacy immensely. Uh, that first mm. book, 
Uh, there's a Shane and Shane song that I love called Embracing Accusation, where they talk about the voice of the enemy. And he's saying all these things, you know, that we're lost and gone astray, that we're broken. And then the, the last verse of that is, he's right. And he is. I mean, there's nothing that the enemy can come at me with that isn't true, probably. Uh, yeah. I do deserve to be cast out. I do not mm. deserve to be a child of God. I have no giftedness in my own. Uh, mm. I cannot write a book. So if the, if the message is you can't do this, that is so right. I cannot. Um, and I've just learned that's part of the process. It's the uncomfortable part of the process, but I would not trade it because it is what knocks me down to where I need to be. I probably have some just like human gifts. Like um, I probably could write a decent book without the Holy Spirit. Um, but those aren't the books I want to write. So just, yeah. I would just look her in the eye and say, do it scared. Do it knowing uh, you're going to mess it up. Do it vulnerable. Uh, that's all part of the ride. And the Lord has done so much in my heart through that continual process of feeling like I have something to say, but I don't want to say it. Mm. I don't know how to say it. I I'd write all those books again, even if no one else ever read them. Because one of my teaching mantras is whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. And yeah. uh, in doing the work of creating those books, I've learned so much about who God is. Wow. That's beautiful. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Thank you for your heart and wading into uh, difficult waters for a lot of us. So uh, on behalf of of my podcast family. I just want to say thank you and thanks for being such a great guest. Mm, I've loved it. I hope everyone listening tastes and see that the Lord is good. I told you guys what an incredible conversation with Aaron. I just think it's an important one to have. I don't know that I left there with more clear answers, but I do know that this is one area of my life that I really have to surrender over to God. So thank you for being a part of this conversation, this dialogue. Thank you for being a part of our reclamation family. And uh, hey, if there's anything I can do to help you, please connect with me. Instagram's the best way for me, at T-W-M-I-L-T, T-W-M-I-L-T. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.